Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. All right, everybody. Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, Data Automation's podcast. Today, we have with us Rolando Rosas. Rolando is the founder of Global Tech Worldwide. It is a e-commerce seller that does a lot of business in the realm of headsets and tech to communicate. We're very excited to have Rolando here on our show today. We're going to see how Rolando handles the decision to automate, delegate, or eliminate. Welcome to the show, Rolando. Thank you, Will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's good to be here. Rolando and I have been working together for a couple of years now, and we've got some good stuff for you today. Rolando, as you know, our show today is about automate, delegate, and eliminate. And, you know, based on some of our conversations we've had earlier, the thing we're going to talk about today is a hairy process, one that's taken a lot of your time and effort. And why don't you introduce that process to us today? What are we, what are we talking about? Well, it, the process today involves taking orders that come in through online and basically moving those through to customers. And the other process would be the flow of the goods that need to move from one location to another. And usually that one location that we want the goods to end up is at Amazon's FBA warehouses. And that's it in a nutshell. And in between, the process is usually involved a lot of human intervention so that there's humans involved in every part of the step to accomplish this task. And it's been a doozy trying to find the best software or the best systems that would allow that process to take place on autopilot. And we certainly didn't find one at first or something that would at least get us half way there. Let's jump in here a little bit and just understand you know, how this came about. When was it that you started selling on FBA? I would say we go back probably seven years ago. So walk us through the process for those listeners that don't spend as much time with that. I think most of us in the world have probably bought something on Amazon and it's come through and we can see the little prime label and it's going to get to us within two days. Help us understand you know, what does that process look like for that item to make it to FBA? Well, that, <laughs> that, that process can take a lot of time, take a lot of effort, and in some cases, a lot of homework. Every category has certain either now, today, which is different than seven years ago, either restrictions or paperwork or approvals just to get things into Amazon warehouse. So with your product, let's call it a headset, right? If I wanted to sell one headset on FBA, what would that look like to get it into FBA? And let's start with what's the advantage of having that headset on FBA as a seller? And then, you know, just briefly that part. And then after you've explained what the advantage is, just walk me through, like, if I just wanted that one headset to be sold on my account, but fulfilled by Amazon, what would that look like? So the major advantage today, having the prime badge today on Amazon means you have access to 150 million users. And that includes both consumers, business, and government users today. That wasn't the case three, four, or five years ago, but today you have access to those 150 million users that are online buying through Amazon. From that, you have the advantage of Amazon's presence globally. If you happen to sell that one headset in the US, sometimes Amazon will move that headset into another market for you. And that's only if you are on the FBA side, which is what customers see as the prime badge. The other advantage to having that prime badge today is that Amazon 
Amazon has implemented a host of new programs directed at those FBA or Prime items where they can put that one headset into your customer's car. They can put it into somebody's garage or house. So the conveniences to the users that are Prime users are way far than what they used to be. And they offer that user a number of options that you can't do on your own today if you have your own website. So can you sell that one headset without the Prime badge? Yes, you can. But according to our numbers, what we see in terms of a velocity, we can see anywhere between a three to eight X increase in velocity and sales just by having that one headset be on, on the Prime or FBA program. So totally worth it in terms of the effort it takes to get it into FBA's hands. Correct. And sometimes when you start, that may not be the approach because if you're completely new to Amazon, you want to get your feet wet. Maybe you don't start off on FBA to, to understand what the process is today because it's way more complex today than it ever was seven years ago when we started. And sometimes you take a few baby steps and then when you're ready and you're ready to put whatever item you want to go on FBA, you have some of that process down. So let's let's talk about that process a little bit. At Data Automation and on the podcast, we often talk about this idea of three questions that help us get towards automating process. And usually what we start with is where's the data now? Where does it need to go? And then what needs to happen to the data in between? And in this case, the data we're talking about is actually all related to that headset that we're trying to get on there. So let's answer that question. Where is the data now? Or where is the information about this headset? And where does it need to go? Well, the information, all of it resides mostly on the Amazon side. And we're able to extract that data using a software platform. But that software platform has to be able to not only talk to Amazon, but it has to do a number of other things. And so as data flows from Amazon to the software, you have to direct the data somewhere, uh, whether it be sales numbers, whether it be orders, whether it be inventory, whether it be stock levels. And so there's a bit of an orchestration of data that needs to happen so that you're receiving data, you're able to analyze the data, and then take action on the data or execution, which is the most important thing. And so the execution of getting information, whether it's to Amazon about customers and customer information need to update or products flowing into Amazon, if you go down the FBA path, all of that becomes very relevant as you start growing and scaling up. As you start scaling up, if you don't have a system in place and a team in place that knows how to properly manage that flow of data, a lot of things can go wrong very quickly and can affect you, affect how you sell on Amazon as well as your reviews, accounts being held or suspended. So the number of things, if this data is not properly moving or not moving on time or in a, a manner within the metrics that Amazon wants you to be, a lot of a lot of bad things can happen. Gotcha. So on the podcast, I always like to ask people what softwares they're using. One, because I'm a bit of a software junkie. I'm always into whatever people are using and testing the newest software that's out there. What software are you using to get some of this data from Amazon and push things back and forth as far as your stock levels and things like that? Well, we use a combination of things. We have a platform called Scubana, and that's our main, I'd call it an aggregator of data, where we're able to receive all the information from Amazon as well as other platforms that we're on, whether it's eBay, Walmart, or others. 
I think individuals might call that an inventory management system, right? Uh, an IMS or a WMS or two common uh, or ERP. Acronyms. ERP yep. is the other one. So this is like in the ballpark, if you're looking at a big enterprise, it'd be like an SAP or Oracle. And then there's other smaller pieces, like maybe a ship station, which isn't completely a great comparison, but along those lines, let's call it ship station plus. All right. For a lot of users that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and ship station has its own realm. We can get into some of the nitty gritty of that, but I, I totally agree with you there. There are pieces of pushing inventory back and forth between different systems. And obviously ship stations focuses on the shipping world of things. I know from our past experience, you use both platforms. Correct. That is correct. And that's also because we're able to do a ton of integrations. And then once you start scaling up, and for those listeners, whether you're at the beginning of the spectrum or as you're somewhere in the middle or further along, as you keep growing, you will get to some point where you may realize there is no one perfect software that does everything you want when it comes to working on Amazon. And that's where we got a few years ago and how we got connected. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly how Rolano and I started this journey of working together on different processes. Now that we've talked a little bit of software, let's talk about this FBA workflows piece of thing or the FBA, the workflow you were doing. If I remember correctly, you mentioned that, you know, this data originally is on Amazon.com. And, and is that in a report of some kind on Amazon? How are they telling you what you should be sending to FBA? Because if I remember correctly, you told me that this item, let's say this headset that I want to sell an FBA, I got to package it up, label it in a very specific way, and then send it off to FBA so they can then put it on the website or put it on amazon.com with that prime badge. Tell me about that process. What's that look like if I have that one headset that I want to send off? So the report that Amazon has, and as well as a dashboard that also resides on Amazon. And for us, we have about 230 items that we are sending on a regular basis to those Amazon FBA warehouses to, to have that prime badge put on it. And so managing when those items need to be replenished, when they're running out, when they're going to run out and doing that predictive analysis, Amazon has a fairly good report on that, plus the history and seasonality. And so they will tell you, hey, that one headset you have or that one headset you have left, it's going to run out in two weeks. So you may want to replenish that one headset starting today because it takes a while for that whole process, the moment you start the packaging, shipping, and then arriving at Amazon's warehouse, it could be two or three weeks from the moment you hit go. So in order to have 230 items, all the trains flowing at the right time, knowing when you have to send them, knowing when they're going to run out, knowing when there's going to be some seasonality or spikes in demand is very key to having success on Amazon. Because when you run out of a product, it doesn't immediately start selling the way it used to. You have loss of sales when you run out. And it's important to know when you're going to run out so that that never happens or that you eliminate that from happening. Well, and so, that's especially relevant when we're talking about, you know, some of the supply problems that we've been having in China right now and some of the other things, right? Like sometimes it's about metering that demand so that you don't run out. You can keep some of that velocity rolling. So yeah, huge opportunity and huge detriment that could come to the business if you're not monitoring that closely. Right. I'm glad you said that. Even though we do have to do some monitoring some of these processes can be put on autopilot. And this is where you and I have done a lot of work in trying to automate some of those processes because the more humans you have doing things, more tasks, the more complex the workflow can be because humans will make mistakes, will make errors, will input data that sometimes is not relevant. And all of those mistakes over the course of a year, two, three, four, all of those add up in terms of dollars and cents. 
So what you're talking about right there is delegate, right? If we're talking about our show, Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, it sounds like initially when you very first took on this process of looking at that report, deciding what was needed to be sent into Amazon, that was something you were doing yourself. You figured out kind of what the standard operating procedure should look like, and then you delegated that to somebody else on your team. Right. So when we started that process several years ago, it was myself doing it. And then I realized demand just kept growing and we hired a person and a second one and a third one, the fourth one, we got up to seven people today, but eventually we got up to enough people where it was unmanageable. I was just thinking, why are we having humans doing all of this work? Some of this, surely we can have some automation around. Just to focus on that delegation for just a second, I can see where you're going there for a second, but I want to help people get as much value out of the podcast as we can. When it came time for you to decide, okay, it's time, there's two questions that I want to ask to bring out some value here. One, what made you decide it was time to delegate? And two, where did you find those individuals to delegate? The timing to delegate just came through a process of trying to create efficiencies. We're really big in efficiencies here at Global Tech. So are we doing this in the most efficient manner possible? And recognizing that humans get tired, quite frankly. And so if we can have a computer or a system that can do some of this around the clock, then those people that we have today, we can rearrange how they work so that they're working more efficiently. And that's kind of how that process started and how, how that kicked off. So when we started started bringing people on. I have a good friend that's done a lot of this outsourcing. I got to tell you, it was a very, very scary move. He'd been through a lot of outsourcing and done outsourcing in a number of countries. And we do some insourcing too. We do have individuals stateside that do some of our work, but a lot of this could be delegated to folks that are like in the Philippines. So we've used an organization that has a number of freelancers and they were very instrumental in finding the key people. They did all the screening, all of the initial reviews and interviewing of these candidates and they brought them to us. We gave them the requirements of who we needed, what we're looking for. And we started with one individual. It turned out to be an amazing thing. I can tell you how scared it was. It's like all the different time zones and how to pay them. A lot of that stuff worked itself out. And once we realized the benefits of having one, today we have close to about seven of those individuals that are doing some kind of work for us today from an outsource perspective. And so it's been very good. So if you are on a trajectory, if you're listening to this and you're on a trajectory of growth and you haven't done any outsourcing and you really want to have a business that thrives as it's growing, adding folks to your team or to the bench as well will be very beneficial because it it really does help business, whether you're a small business or even a larger size, to have a group of individuals that are really focused, especially around the Amazon channel, because then you're going to see that these individuals are specialized in these, very focused on what they're doing, as well as Amazon is in an ever-changing state of change. And that really helps to have a group of individuals on your team that are only focused on Amazon or mostly focused on Amazon. Well, and you had to decide, okay, this is the process that is going to be profitable enough for me to hand off to someone else. What did you do to decide this was a process that was profitable enough for you to delegate? This is what we do with every process when we decide to automate. How much time is that individual spending on that current task or projects? And what's the cost of that? So if an individual is spending 20 hours a week, and let's just say for numbers sake, that individual is being paid 10 bucks an hour just for easy numbers. 
hours to understand. So at $10 an hour, and they're taking 20 hours to do a, a particular project that they're currently working on on a constant basis or a particular task, then what we do is look at that on a monthly basis. So that individual is putting in $800 worth of work. So now we have some numbers we can work with. So this individual, let's just say they're the buyer. They're buying some supplies in China for us that are going into Amazon. If that particular individual is spending 20 hours a week on just that one task, is there anything out there today that will automate that process so that those goods from China can flow either to our warehouse or to Amazon warehouse where we needed to go? And if that exists, then what does that software or process or platform cost? So now if the, let's just say that is an a hundred dollar a month investment that we have to make, whether it's a software, whether it's an integration or whatever that tends to be. So that process can be automated. If it's a hundred bucks a month and we're spending $800 a month with that individual, it's a no brainer. And at that point, automation makes sense. But if it was a thousand dollars to automate, we're still not at there at a level where we would see some savings. We'd have to see that individual's time spent be at least equal or greater, because if it's equal, we know that if we re purpose that individual to start doing other tasks as we're growing, we know that that investment will pay off. Right. So it sounds like as far as the delegate portion of this, uh, you looked at it and said, hey, I'm spending X amount of hours on this task. So if you're a small entrepreneur, you're getting started on Amazon or you're even neck deep into it, how do you decide how much your time is worth? That's a really good question. That's really a million dollar question. Every business owner and entrepreneur needs to assess how much they could make if they were able to clone themselves. And if they were able to clone themselves and have a second you or me available, then what kind of impact would that have on the business? Whether it's sales, whether it's operations, whether it's purchasing or any other area of the business, accounting. And actually, if I go even further back, so our first piece of outsourcing was actually on the accounting side, because as the business was growing, all of the invoicing and all of that, all of the financial that goes with more orders, more products, more payments, all of of that really accounting was where we first got our first taste into that. And that's kind of what put us on a trajectory to really be open to the idea of further outsourcing into other areas. And so as the business grows and as the business owner, okay, so if we outsource the accounting or have another individual or individuals or agency handle that, what does that look like to me? How much time does that free up? And so if I have an extra four hours a day, what could I do with those four hours? You could completely rest and take a break. That's totally within your right as an entrepreneur. You could they be able to look at special projects or strategic accounts on the sales side that you would want to go after or expand the business if you had four extra hours a day because somebody's handling the accounting for you or somebody's handling the sales or purchasing. If you're going in and looking at that, Rolando, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, if I could clone myself for these four hours a week and do this, what would I do with that time? What would that mean to the business? How quickly could I grow? Oh, I could grow by 20%. My current business is worth a million dollars. If I could grow the business by 20%, that means that I'm going to be at 1.2 million. That means it's $200,000 a year. And you start doing the math backwards and figure out, okay, well, you know, $200,000 a year, go backwards and kind of see, okay, well, there's an idea of how much I'd be 
willing to invest to have those extra four hours for the next six months. Really gives you an idea of when it's time to delegate or automate. Okay, so initially you decided to delegate this process to these individuals and just because we're trying to drum up as much value as we can, I love to shout out to the good vendors of the world. Who was it that you used to select these individuals? So we used FreeUp to bring our first individual on board and they recently were acquired by another company. Actually, it was a customer, believe it or not, if you don't know this. A customer loved them so much. Uh, they used so many freelancers that they had that they ended up acquiring them. And now it's a larger organization with even more freelancers. And they've done a really good job of bringing quality individuals. And I believe they only bring in like two or 3% of freelancers out there that come through their doors that want to be part of their freelancer network. So they really screen out a lot of the issues that you would normally have if you were out there on your own trying to find freelancers in on the India or Philippines or any other part of the world. Awesome. Yeah. Big shout out to Nathan Hurst. He's the founder of FreeUp and he eventually sold that. And he's now started a whole nother company where it's called Outsource School. You can check out my website, deadautomation.com forward slash Outsource School. I'm actually an affiliate of his there. And he started a description or a, a course on how to find it and get there. And obviously FreeUp's still a fantastic place to go to for some of the resources. Data Automation actually has a freelancer from FreeUp doing some of our customer support. So totally a big win there. Okay, so let's dive in. Let's get into the nitty gritty of this process. And we'll go from the beginning to the end. But the beginning is we look at this restock report, right? Mm -hmm. And we try to decide, okay, what should be bought? And one of the interesting things about your business, Rolando, is that when you try to decide what should be bought, it's not just one warehouse, right? It's more than one warehouse. Oh, yeah, we have several warehouses where we're coordinating purchases from we have warehouses in China. We're bringing stuff from, and we also have warehouses, probably about four or five warehouses where we're coordinating shipments into in the U.S. and the U.K. Wow. And so when you're trying to decide which person, which one that should go from, I imagine that could get pretty hairy to figure out like, okay, how much has this guy got versus how much has that guy got? Got to kind of flip back and forth. I mean, Chrome tab madness, right? Trying to <laughs> go back and forth and figure out who's got that inventory available right now. Amazon's saying I should buy 20 or 30 or 200 of these. You got to decide who's got what, right? Right. And that's the challenge when you at the beginning is that you're going to have probably all the tabs for all your supplies suppliers on one browser. I know that's the case, all of them on one browser and maybe your warehouse locations, another browser. So you're always going back and forth. You may even have several spreadsheets where you're coordinating on this. In addition to those browsers of having each one of those companies' inventory sites open so that you can see them. So it is a lot of work for any one individual to try to make that all happen as you grow. In the beginning, it's very easy if you have only a handful of SKUs. But as those numbers in the SKU count, as you start becoming more successful on Amazon and you're adding more product or you're adding a variety of products, the amount of coordination that you have to do from sourcing as well as getting that product into the FBA program, into the Amazon Prime program, making sure all those trains flow at the right time with all the right product gets much more complicated. So again, the more SKUs, the more complex the process, and obviously the, the greater the volume, the more complex it also becomes trying to coordinate those things. The FBA report comes in and tells you, you need this. So it signals that you need to buy or send 
inventory and some of the process that you and I have worked on to make this magic happen takes those signals, whether they're coming from Amazon or other places or our warehouses saying, hey, we're running low, time to reorder, or Amazon saying, hey, demand is spiking, time to order more. It handles this, I'll call it magic for right now, that that needs to happen between where the product starts to where the product needs to go. So as we went through and looked at this process, I remember at the very beginning of it, one of the things that I said and, and that we worked on together was doing the process manually. And so interestingly enough, for this piece of magic, what we did first was we took a spreadsheet out and we said, okay, what if we were to just make all of this happen just in a spreadsheet? Let's write a whole bunch of formulas. Let's talk about getting this. And we created data source tabs for each one of the different places. And so for Rolando's process, we went in and, and picked apart okay, what are the data sources? Obviously, Skubana, the platform that we talked about earlier for your WMS, had a lot of these inventory numbers. And that the reason it had those inventory numbers is because months and months in the past, we had hooked up inventory feeds to Skubana. So Rolando had done some of his initial base of where is this data? Oh, it's with a supplier or it's with a manufacturer. And he fed that into Skubana. And then we could use Skubana as a hub to push this information into our Google spreadsheet so that we could do some of our own custom calculations on everything that was there there. So that was, I think, the first thing that we did was just figure out, okay, what data do we actually need in order for us to be able to tackle this process? And so we did it manually. That seems such like two or three years ago. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're reminding me of that. I remember now, yes, we had a freelancer that, and it was very frustrating because we wanted to get the cheese and understanding that from a development perspective and the, the complexity, we want to make sure we get it right and we didn't miss any steps, but it was key to like what you're saying, go through that process to really understand what's relevant, what data is actually going to be impactful and what we don't need to have on here that's just not relevant. And so that process took some time, but we worked our way through that and started making some magic. Once all the pieces were turned on and automation started coming online, it started creating a much more efficient process for our freelancers to do that work. The interesting thing is that when we originally turned all of this on, I remember, Rolando, the individual that we had doing this actually complained that the manual version of the automated process, so like this spreadsheet, actually made things take longer for a period of time. It did because there was a learning curve to understand that the way this person was doing, that she was doing it. Well, first of all, let's just tell everybody the process to work on, let's say, FBA order. Every FBA order would take two, sometimes three days for one person to do. And if they're working, let's say five hours a day, that's 15 hours. And we have shipments that are going into Amazon all the time, every day. And so 15 hours to do one shipment is way too long. By the time we're ready to send those orders through our suppliers, the inventory levels that already changed when we start process, that's how fast things are moving on Amazon. So we needed to find a way to shortcut that process. And now we've got it down to 15 minutes. And that's kind of where the target goal and this individual, Yes, it took them some time to understand that during the discovery, the discovery portion of the project was harder on her than anybody else because she had to shift gears in a way she had done before. But once we were out of that discovery phase into the implementation side, things started going down in terms of the amount of time from three days down to two days and today down to 15 minutes where it's now fully automated. 
So as I'm looking at this, Rolando, and by the way, if I went from three days to 15 minutes, I think I may have to start charging you a little more for some of the help we did there. <laughs> but and, and I want everyone to know, this is not about showcasing something that data automation did necessarily. Obviously, this is a data automation sponsored podcast. So there's going to be things that we talk about. We want to shine a light and say that. But the point of this podcast is to give you as much value as you can so that you can recognize that automation, one, is possible, and two, how to approach it. So whether or not you hire an automation expert, like data automation, remember that as you're going through that process and as you pick things apart and you stop doing it manually and you start putting it into a spreadsheet or you start flowcharting it, things are going to get harder before they get easier. And that sounds like a really dumb, easy way to look at it, but really that's what I mean. Things are going to get harder. It's going to look like it's taking more time than it did originally. And a lot of people just revert back. They're like, oh, you know what? Wasn't worth it. Learning curve, not worth it. Going back, going to do this manually. And what we're trying to tell people is stick to your guns. This goes into a very powerful rule that we give ourselves before you automate something, do it five times manually. And Rolando and his team had been doing this way more than five times manually. And so we understood all of the curves. Should I take a left here? Should I take a right here? Should I go straight here in terms of the process for where it goes? And I think we've just come up with a brand new rule on this podcast today. And I think the rule is when you start picking something apart or when you start deciding to create the plans, like you said in the discovery mode, when you begin the automation discovery, remember that sometimes it's going to feel more manual than even it was before you started to discover. And I just want to say that, it, you know, when the discovery portion was very important because it then reinforced how much time we we're actually spending on this and how we needed to get the process right. Because as things are becoming more automated and you're trying to evaluate from a financial perspective, is this worth the time, effort, and money? It's really good to have an understanding of what you're getting into. And the discovery phase of it allows you to really look at all of the things that maybe you had no idea were happening underneath and then incorporate that into the automation process. Surprises come out of that process and like, oh yeah, we really should include this. We really should throw this in. And that's all part of that discovery process that we went through is that not only did we realize we had certain tasks that we needed to do, but there were other complementary tasks that allowed us once we got into the implementation phase to make sure that that done right rather than repeating and going back in and doing multiple discovery processes. Absolutely. So we're about coming up on our time here and we want to make sure that this is as succinct as we can make it. Obviously, this is a several month process that we're talking about in a quick 40 to 60 minute podcast. As I want to kind of go back over here, the process was taking two to three days per shipment. And we've now got that down to pretty close to 15 minutes because it can very quickly be analyzed right on the spot. We've got data sources coming in from Amazon FBA, the restock report, not only from Canada, but also from the US and all of those different numbers that are coming in from Skibana to match up and understand where this inventory is so that decisions can be made. We then use Skibana to create that FBA shipment from inside their system after we've identified everything that goes into the shipment. And then we're even using Skibana to pick up those shipments and automatically place those orders with the appropriate manufacturer. So you can see there's a lot of moving parts that have gone into that and to come back 
back to the realm of did we automate, delegate, or eliminate? Um, in this situation, interestingly enough, it started with delegation and we quickly began to automate different pieces of it and we eliminated the manual processes that were delegated originally to the point where now I wouldn't call it fully automated because I think there are different, definitely pieces of it that shouldn't be automated. And we'll get into that on future podcast episodes, but super excited that you were able to join me here, Rolando, on Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I think this is a perfect example of a process that we work on over time. And I think your choice to initially delegate, then automate, and eventually eliminate a couple of those manual processes was a good one. Well, I will also just say that there's something I thought of as you were just talking about that is that not only can we make decisions in real time, but everything else that's related to that process, whether it's ordering, shipments, inventory, coordinating things with our supplier, also now is happening in real time rather than a few days later when we decide to execute on that. And things change in three days. In our world, things change every hour. So having the ability to do all of those different aspects in real time and have all of the different pieces be touched and executed in real time has made a huge difference and a positive difference on the business and the financial impact. Absolutely. Rolando, as we finish up here, I'd love to hear from you. Is there any parting piece of wisdom that you wanted to share with any of the users here with regard to that process or just with regard to processes and automation that you wanted to share with the listeners? As an entrepreneur, if you're towards the beginning of the curve and you're getting on this process or journey, there's a lot of hard work involved and there's no way around it. For anybody that says, oh, there's overnight success on Amazon, it's, those are very, 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 very few. There's some numbers out there that Amazon has about this. 99% of the folks that are selling on Amazon have to do a lot of hard work to make it successful. But at some point, as somebody told me many years ago, smarter, not harder. And this is where automation and all of these different tools come into play. So if you're exhausted and you're an entrepreneur working on the Amazon world or the e-commerce world, and you're looking for a way to clone, replicate, create efficiencies, finding a way to do that through automation is the way to go. And when we started on it, it was a little scary because we'd never done it before, but it's totally been worth it. I would highly recommend it. And every entrepreneur that's out there listening to us today should look at their business and determine how can they best incorporate that so that they can maintain a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Awesome. Can you tell our listeners if they're looking for a mentorship or they're looking to purchase a, an awesome headset because that's what you do? Where can individuals that are looking to get in contact with you find you? Well, one easy way to do that is I'm on LinkedIn more than most of those other platforms. So if you're an entrepreneur, you want to reach out to me, look for Rolando, R-O-L-A-N-D-O, Rosas spelled R-O-S-A-S, and send me a DM message or an invite and I'll respond to you. Thank you, Rolando. And that's it today for our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. See you next time. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.